Uh, today, we will be continuing in the study of Joseph. And it's really trippy, y'all. So in my notes, I've got Joshua. I don't know why. Like, I've just been saving each message as Joshua and not Joseph. I don't know. Uh, but we are going to continue the story, the life of, of Joseph. And for those of you who are visiting for the first time, Joseph's this awesome man, not just in the Bible, but in history, right? There's this historic figure uh, that started at the very bottom, right? Uh, he came into to Egypt as a, a slave, um, and he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. He had this rough upbringing. He had a, a rough childhood. And we see him ascend and become the prime minister of the most powerful world, world power at the time, right? And so he's got a lot of insights for us in terms of what it looks like to be a leader in our community, uh, what it looks like to be a leader in our homes, what it looks like to be a leader in our nations. Uh, we've got a lot of insights in terms of what it looks like to deal with conflict, reconciliation, uh, what it looks like to, to be pure, right? And so there, there's a lot of things that we get to learn from the life and from the story of Joseph. And it's been really good. Uh, so far, we've learned a little bit about his background. We've learned a little bit about his character. And, and just last week, we, we learned about his destiny, right? Joseph, he had two dreams. And in these dreams, we see what's coming for him, right? And so with all of that, we covered about 11 verses. And so I'm realizing that at this rate, we're, we're not going to get very far very quick. And I don't want to get lost in, I don't want to lose the forest for the tree. Is that, that's a saying, right? So I don't want to get so focused on the tree that we forget what's happening in the rest of the forest. And so we're going to pick up the pace a little bit, and we're going to attempt to, to cover the rest of Genesis chapter 37. And so if you haven't, get your Bibles and you can start turning to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be camping out there today. Um, and just as a reminder, so again, I opened with, these are the very words of God, right? And, and I think even for me, I can go through uh, an academic exercise as I approach this book, right? Uh, and we can have story time and, and talk about this thing, and it actually has no bearing on our lives. But, but again, this book, if we allow it to, it can have a huge change in the way that we live and that we can see this world. Uh, and so I just pray and ask and that, that we consider what we're doing here today, because I believe with all my heart that if we allow it to, this book will actually change everything, right? Like this book has the power to give life and to give wisdom, right? And so before we dive in, I'm going to have Andy come up and just read the passage for us, and he's going to pray for me, and then we'll see what we got going. When I'm in what he said, like my life has changed ever since I started to focus on the Bible. Um, so, dear Father, we just want to thank you so much for this time uh, and for just giving us an opportunity uh, to be with friends and meet new friends every semester. Uh, Lord, would you please uh, bless this time? Can you open our hearts and can you give us uh, ears to hear your word? Um, and Lord, uh, please be with Miles. God, speak through him. Uh, God, it's it's your word. So God, please uh, bless it. And, and I pray that it would be a fun time just to learn uh, from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Genesis 37, verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. 
And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flock. And the men said, They are departed hence, for I hear them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, his, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Come, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of the hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed not blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of the hands, to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many collars that was on him. And they took him, and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead, with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto, the, unto his brethren, What profit is, is it if we slay our brethren, our brother, and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother in our, in our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then they passed by Midianites, uh, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not into in the pit. And he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren, and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and killed the kid of the goat, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, on, and they brought it unto their father, and said, This have we found Note now, now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put a sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus this his father wept for him, and the Midianite sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, a captain of the guard. So that was a lot going on, right? <clears throat> can someone summarize what we just read? Because that can be, man, like a lot to process and to understand what we just read. Anybody? Any takers? Oh, man, we got a silent crew. Jessica, I knew you'd raise your hand. What? What? At 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so the brothers were out shepherding, and 
Joseph found them and he walked their way while he was walking their way. Their brothers um, saw him and they conspired against him. What? Um, so they were meaning to kill him. And then his own brothers were, were going to kill him. Yes, his own brothers were going to kill him. Okay. And one of the brothers said, no, stop, let's not shed his blood. Um, sorry, yeah, let's not shed his blood, um, but put him in the pit. Um, and Reuben, in the back of his mind, thought he would deliver his brother later. So this is a cool brother. Yeah. Um, so Joseph came... They attacked him and they threw him in the pit. Um, and as the brothers were eating, they spied a company of Ishmaelite, Ishmaelites um, passing by their way. And verse 26, Judah says, let's sell him. And they decided to sell him Dang. for 20 pieces of silver. Reuben, who was gone at the time, didn't know of this change of plans, and when he came back, he was very surprised and tore his clothes, verse 29. And they took his goat. They took his goat. <laughs> they took his coat and killed the goat. And did the coat and the blood of the goat. Mm. And <laughs> one, um, yeah, and brought the coat home and told the dad a lie that he had been slain by a beast. Uh, and so Joseph, not Joseph, thank you, Jacob, is very sad and cannot be comforted because this was his favorite song. Yeah, that's great. So that that's what we just read. Um, and so we've got our, our work cut out for us today. Uh, in the previous weeks, we talked about the hearts of Joseph's brothers. And based on this, are Joseph's brothers... Do they have a good heart or a bad heart? They've got a bad heart, right? And so their heart, it's full of hatred. It's full of envy towards Joseph. They were je jealous of Joseph. And we see where allowing this root of bitterness and allowing the, this hate to fester, it creates death, it creates disunity, and it creates destruction. And so we're going to continue just to follow the journey of Joseph's brothers and to see where it leads and we can learn from their mistakes so that we don't have to make the same mistakes, right? And so in verse 12, that's where we started today. And it says, and his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And immediately we're going to pause, right? We're going to pause right here because you guys almost just missed a really big deal. You're like, what? We, we just got started. What could we have missed? Well, any Jewish audience that would be reading this would be on the edge of their seats right now, right? Because they would know what happened in Shechem. And so, do we have any takers? Anybody know what happened in Shechem? Raise your hand. What happened in Genesis chapter 34? Anybody? Connor's getting there. She's going to find out. Oh, man, who's going to beat Connor? Any takers? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's crazy, right? So, we can remember what happened in Genesis chapter 34. It was all sorts of defilement, y'all. So, Dinah is Joseph's sister. So Dinah is the daughter of Jacob. And in Genesis chapter 34, uh, we see that she's raped. Uh, and she's raped by Shechem himself. And so this is a, a horrible thing that happened. Right? This is a horrible situation. 
And in the aftermath of, of the rape, we see that Jacob and Shechem are, are working out this deal. And part of that is that all of the men of Shechem get circumcised, right? And so they all get circumcised, but we see that Dinah's brothers, they are livid and they aren't having it, right? They're very protective of their sister and they love their sister. And they're so frustrated by what happens uh, in, in the city and by, by this man Shechem. And so right after these men all circumcise themselves, if you're like, what circumcision? You could ask me later. But right after these men circumcise themselves, we see that Dinah's brothers, they go in when these men can't defend themselves because of what just took place, and they go and slaughter all of the men in the city. Right? You guys thought reality TV was crazy. This book, y'all, it's crazier than anything you'd see on TV. And so this act of slaughter, it was a point of frustration uh, for Jacob. Uh, it was a point of, of rebuking for, for his sons. And we see this wicked motivation brew up behind why these, these brothers did this, right? Immediately after the slaughter, we see that they descend upon the city to take of the spoil, to take of the women, and to take of the children, right? And so we see that the, these brothers, they wanted vengeance for themselves, and they wanted to avenge their sister, right? They wanted the spoil for themselves. They wanted the people for themselves. Are you seeing a theme? They were covetous, they were greedy, and they sought personal gain. And so we have to beware of these types of motivations, even within ourselves. We have to beware of our own motivations in terms of what we're doing. Within the, the next few verses, we'd see that, that God calls Jacob. So he calls the family out of the land of Shechem, and he calls them to the land of Bethel. So it's like, hey, you guys, this is crazy. You guys got to get out of here. And so we see that God calls them away from Shechem. And Shechem, what that means, it's like your shoulders, right? It means the place of burden. That's what Shechem is. It's the place of burden. And so he calls them out of Shechem, out of this place of burden, and he calls them to Bethel. Does anybody know what Bethel means? He calls them away from this place of burden. And he calls them to the house of God. How beautiful is that? And so key point number one is that we should never leave the place that God has us to return to the place of burden. We should never leave the place that God has us to, to return to the place of burden. And that's exactly what we see happening right here. This is the, the place of burden that God called uh, Jacob and his sons away from in Genesis chapter 34. And in verse 12, we see that the sons are returning to this place of burden with the flock. You see that? They're returning to this place of burden with the flock. Uh, and so this is a picture of backsliding. There's no need for them to ever return there. And for us, man, there are those places in our own lives, right? And there's no need for us to ever return to those places either. We've been called out of it. And so this has bad news written all over it. And so we're going to continue reading here in verse chapter 13. But beware of these areas in your own life, you know, the, the, the areas that God's delivered you from. Uh, it could be past identities. It could be past ways of coping. It could be old friends. It could be ex-lovers. Anything that's trying to draw you away from the place that God has you, from the things that God has for you, right? In verse th 13, it says, And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, 
See whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a certain man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field and the man asked him saying, what seekest thou? What seekest thou? He said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And so we, we learned about his brothers and how they ended up in Shechem, right? And, and here we see a stark contrast when we consider the life of Joseph. Joseph, unlike his brothers, remained in Bethel, right? Joseph remained in the house of God. He didn't return to this place of burden with his brothers. We see that he's in Bethel. He's in the house of God with his father, right? And so Joseph, he was patient. He was not slack. Uh, we don't see any laziness on his end, right? There's no indication that he had it easy, that he, he was lazy. Everything in the text would lend us to believe the exact opposite, right? He's ready, he's willing, and he's obedient whenever his father calls him to whatever his father's desires are. His response to, to his father's call is, here am I. And I wonder how many of us are like Joseph, how many of us are actually ready, willing, and obedient whenever God, our father, whenever our Lord calls us to do anything that he would have us to do, right? And so our key point number two is that we must dwell with the Lord and be ready, willing, and obedient to whatever uh, his call may be. We must dwell with the Lord, just like Joseph, and be ready, willing, and obedient to whatever his call may be. In Genesis 22, verse 1, God called Abraham, to which Abraham promptly responded, here I am. And God would go on to ask him to sacrifice his only son whom he loves, right? And it sounds crazy because it, it is. Can you imagine this? You've got th this one son, and in this son, are all your hopes, are all your promises, is, is all your life. And then God would say, hey, you know that son whom you love? I'm asking you to sacrifice him. That's crazy. Like, period, that, that's crazy. And praise the Lord, God didn't actually have Abraham go through with this. But when we see Abraham respond immediately, when we see him being ready and to have a willing heart to obey the Lord, we see a perfect example of what true worship is laying down everything, all of who you are before the Lord, yielding you know, all of your heart's desires, whatever your thoughts are, giving them to God because he is true and because he is good. And we can see that Abraham could trust God with that. And man, God was good. What won't God do, right? In Exodus chapter three, verse four, God calls Moses, to which Moses promptly replies, here am I. And God would go on to ask him to free Israel from captivity. In this passage, God calls Moses to free the people, and we see that the Lord promises to be with him. Uh, and this crazy thing, this thing that's beyond anything that Moses can do, God says, hey, do it, but I'm going to be there with you. And we see that Moses gets to, to be part of freeing the people of Israel out of captivity, out of bondage in Egypt. And what we really get to see is that God is powerful, that God is mighty, and that God was at work through all of that. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4, God called Samuel, to which Samuel replied, here am I, right? Here am I. 
And God would go on to give Samuel a prophecy of judgment on the house of Eli. And he'd offer to Samuel these insights into to what's in store for the nation of Israel during a time when no one else was hearing from the Lord. In Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, we, we see Isaiah in the very throne room of God, right? He gets to witness the, the worship that's happening in the throne room of God. He'd be seeing, he'd be acknowledging God and his glory in a way that he'd never acknowledged before. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this, God is saying, who will go? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me, right? And so we get the, the, the testimony of these mighty men of God. And, and guess what, y'all? Joseph gets to join in their ranks because whenever his father calls, he says, here am I. And, and I point out here that, you know, the, the person that, that's calling um, uh, Joseph isn't God the father, right? Instead, we see that Jacob is calling Joseph. And so we get to see this beautiful picture, right? Where, where, where Joseph gets to be this picture, this type of Jesus, and Jacob gets to be this picture, this type of God the Father. And so we'll look into that in a little bit. Um, but I mean, for, for us, who, who of us are gonna say, here am I? Who of us are, are ready, willing, and obedient to the call that God has for us? I fear that, that many of us are actually like Adam in Genesis chapter three, verse 10. We see in Genesis chapter three, verse 10, that, that Adam heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. And the text says that Adam was afraid because he was naked and he hid himself. He hid himself from the voice of God, right? Unfortunately, rather than being ready to receive and to do God's word, many of us are scared and we're hiding from it. But Joseph, like these other mighty men of God, he was ready, he was willing, he was obedient to the call of his father. And so he gets to be this beautiful picture, he gets to be this beautiful type of Jesus. And this, you know, Jacob becomes this type of God, the father, and Joseph becomes this type of Jesus. And Joseph, he's submissive and he's obedient to the will of his father, just like Jesus was. Joseph, he, he left the house of God, he left Bethel and the comforts of his father's home and became a wanderer in search for his brethren, right? And Jesus, just like Joseph, is this messenger. Malachi calls him the, the, the messenger of the covenant. And so he's sent from the father with this message and he's determined to do his father's will. And he came down, he came down here to earth to seek out his brethren, he's seeking out the, the, the nation of Israel. And the crazy part is when you look at the story of Jesus is that he knew that the people that he was seeking would despise and reject him. Jesus, whenever he came down, whenever he put on flesh and became a human, he was seeking out his brethren and he knew that they would despise him and he knew that they would reject him. But his heart, just like Joseph's, it was full of compassion and it was full of love for them. And he chose to love them especially when that love wasn't reciprocated. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so key point number three, we have a call to lay down our lives in pursuit of souls, right? That's what we see here. Joseph was asked by this certain man, what seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. I seek my brethren. Is that your heart? We have a call to, to seek souls. I wonder how many of us see the mission that our father has called us to. 
He's called us to, to wander in this field called the world, to seek after brothers and lost sheep, these souls. And we see that this led Joseph to Dothan. And this is where the story starts to break my heart. We see so clearly Joseph's heart for his brethren. He just wants to find them. He wants to give them this message that his father has for them. And in verse 18, it reveals their heart for him. In verse 18, we see Joseph's brother's heart. It says, and when they saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Even before he came near unto them, they, they conspired against him to slay him. Their, their heart was set on killing their brother, their own flesh and blood. And so we see in, in verses 18 through 30, that this short walk from Shechem to Dothan, right? In verse 18, it says, And when they saw him afar off, before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Man, we're going to see what becomes of his dreams, right? When he's dead. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. This is the only person that has some kind of reason in them. And Reuben said unto him, shed not blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hands on him. And we see this aside. He, he's thinking this, he's communicating this, that he might rid him out of their hands and to deliver him unto their father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that they so despised. And they took him and they cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread while their brothers in the, in the bottom of a pit were sitting down and they're eating bread. And they lifted up their eyes and they looked and behold a company of Ishmaelites that came from uh, Gilead uh, with their camels and bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother? How wicked. Man, we, we can't make any money if we just kill him. What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. Man, just trying to make yourself feel better, right? And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites and merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes and he returned to his brethren and said, the child is not and I, whither shall I go? And so key point number four is that the direction our feet point are usually where they end up. The direction that our feet point are usually where they end up. So before we dive into this passage, I want to point out that Dothan is a short walk from Shechem. Shechem was this place of burden, right? This is the, the place where uh, Joseph's brothers committed sin. Uh, this is the place of backsliding. And from this fallen position, it's a short trip to Dothan. Dothan is the place where his brothers conspire and desire to murder their brother to murder their brother. This is where the root of bitterness going unchecked can lead. 
This is where hatred and envy that, that are brewing within you can lead, right? Back to the place of burden and ultimately to Dothan, to this place of murder and destruction. When the brothers see Joseph coming, we see immediately that they begin to mock him, right? They begin to mock him because of his dreams. They plan to kill him in rejection of his dreams, which are actually God's words, right? These represent God's words. They're rejecting God's words, his dreams, and determination that these dreams would not come to fruition. So they stripped Joe out of his coat. They took him and they cast him into a pit. Just as Christ came and was rejected, so was Joseph. And he would have suffered Christ's same fate had his brothers not been more greedy than they were bloodthirsty, right? He, he was on a trajectory to death, but they were greedy. In verse 26, Judah said to his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And so I can't help but point out the irony of the situation, right? In Shechem, the brothers were so filled with rage on how their sister was perpetrated against that they would go in and slay all the men there. And yet in Dothan, they're willing to allow their own brother die at their own hands. How warped is that, right? And yet again, we see their covetousness on display. Just as their, their wicked motivation in the slaughter of Shechem, we see the wicked motivation here at Dothan, that they might become the app. Man, we're so jealous of Joseph, right? Man, man dad likes Joseph more than he likes us. We're so jealous of him. Man, he, he's giving him more prestigious positions. He's got this fancy coat. Man, he's going to be ruling over us. He's going to receive the inheritance. They're, they're jealous of their brother. And so they're willing to do the unspeakable, that they might become the apple of their father's eye, that they, they might gain the inheritance over their brother, that they might profit off their own brother's death. Their focus, once again, was on personal gain and self-interest. Personal gain and self-interest. And we're going to see before the end of this chapter that it completely backfires. Right? The, the, their father... He's just so broken up and torn hearted that he can't even be comforted by his sons. Yeah, I'm going to go to, the, to, to my grave mourning, is what he says. Ah, I'm just going to go to my grave mourning. Oh, man. And so we see that this is the, the, the fate. We see that this is the testimonies of his brothers. But we're going to shift our attention back from his brothers back to Joseph. What do we do when we end up in Dothan? Right, what, what do we do when we're Joseph and, and we end up in this place where, where all the odds are stacked against us, right? Joseph, he was despised, he was rejected, he was abandoned, he was enslaved. He finds himself in the pit. Like this dude literally hit rock bottom. That was a play on words, right? He, he's in the pit, he hit rock bottom, y'all. Uh, how do we respond when our family, when our situations, when our life, when our finances, where, where things around us that we can't control Whatever it is, when it sucker punches you, right? When, when it leaves you high and dry. And so our key point number five is that in the midst of trial, we must gain a, a spiritual perspective. And in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tribulations, when, when life is happening to us and we can't control it, we have to gain a spiritual perspective. We must get our eyes off the physical. We have to get our eyes off these temporal things of this world and to get them onto eternal things. It's so easy when the trials and the storms of our lives come that we respond with, man, don't you care about us, God? 
right? We respond like the disciples in Mark chapter four. In Mark chapter four, we get this beautiful testimony of the disciples traveling with Jesus on a boat. And they begin to question God about his care for them because of the things that are happening around them, right? And in Mark chapter four, verse 37, it says, there arose a great storm of wind. Right? There was a storm in their life and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. So amidst the storm, we see Jesus, he's taking a nap, right? And they awake him and cry unto him and scream, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Don't you see what's happening to me, God? Do you see that the storms, the trials around me? Don't you care that we're about to die, that I'm about to perish? And you see that Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? When the trials and the storms in our lives come, we're so quick to accuse God saying, Master, carest thou not? Don't you care? When in reality, he's already given us the solution. And he's already given us a solution. He's already given us a way out. We see, uh, like Jesus, we can have calm and peace in the midst of a storm. Right? We, we can learn to endure through the storms instead of being asked to be taken out of them. Because we, of all people, have hope and promise to hold on to. What the disciples forgot is that Jesus had just taught them on the other side of the storm, right? Before entering into the ship, Jesus had just taught them this beautiful teaching. It's called the parable of the sower. And this parable is all about what you do with God's word. It's about receiving and believing God's word. And immediately after teaching this parable about taking God's word and receiving it and allowing it to bring fruit in your life, we see that he gives them a word that they're going to the other side of the sea, right? He gives them this word to have hope in, to believe in. And immediately he puts it to the test. He puts it to the test. He gave them this beautiful word to have hope in. Let us go to the other side. And so Jesus, he could sleep in the ship because he knew where he was going. He could have peace in the midst of the storm, right? And so can we. And so what do we do whenever temptation, whenever these trials, whenever these storms come in our lives? And we got to gain a spiritual perspective, right? And we do that by remembering the promises that received from God before entering the pit. Man, man, what did God teach you? Before this thing happened to you, what is it that, that God was teaching you in your morning devotions? What is it that, that God was teaching you in Sunday school? Man, did he already give you the answer and you're just now losing that? He gives us things to have hope in. He gives us his word. He gives us promises that whenever these trials, whenever these storms, whenever these pits come in our lives, man, we can hope on that thing. Joseph, he had two dreams. He had two dreams to put his hope in. Man, God, I know what you told me. I know what you taught me. And so despite the fact that I'm in this pit, I can have hope because I know that you've called me man, to, to, to rule. I know the things that you have for me. And so we can have hope. We must remember the promises that we received from God's word before entering the pit because it applies providence to your problem. It applies providence to your problem. Rather than scoffing at God in the midst of our trials, we must believe that he has actively been preparing us for them. Right? Did you catch that? Rather than scoffing at God in the midst of our trials, we have to believe that he's been actively preparing us for them. 
and that he will be present and help deliver us through them. So let's bring this part of the story full circle. So we acknowledge that uh, for Joseph's brothers, Dothan was representative of a very horrible thing, right? Dothan, what was this horrible place that they're backsliding to Shechem brought them to Dothan and Dothan was a place of murder and destruction. This is where they conspired and desired to kill their brother. This is a place where they were willing to do the unspeakable. But for us, and when we find ourselves in Dothan, when we find ourselves like Joseph, we can leave with a different perspective. Turn with me to, to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And let's gain Joseph's perspective of Dothan. Rather than allowing this to be a place of death and destruction in our lives, for us, Dothan can actually be a place of great deliverance. You're like, how? Man, look at this situation. How can this be a place of deliverance? In 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to find the only other mention of Dothan in the scriptures. In verse 11, it says, Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, will ye show me which of us is for the king of Israel, right? And so the king of Syria, he's gathering all his men around. He's like, yo, one of y'all is a snitch, right? How did the, how's the king of Israel? How's he know my every move? One of y'all is a snitch, right? And then one of his servants said, no, my Lord, I'm not a snitch. It's not me. He says, oh, king, but Elisha, the prophet that's in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speaketh in thy bedchamber. Like, dude, this dude, Elisha, he's got your whole bedroom tapped. Why? Because he's like connected to the God of God and the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He's saying, Elisha is telling, you know, the, the king your every move. And so he said, all right, go spy out. Where, where is this Elisha dude that I may send and fetch him? And it was told him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Elisha is hanging out in Dothan. Therefore, he sent uh, he, their horses and chariots and a great host, right? So he, he pulled out the Navy SEALs, he pulled out the army, he pulled out the, like he's pulling out all, all the people, right? He's got the chariots, he's got the, the great host, the horses, and they came by night and compassed the whole city about. This is no joke. And when the servant of the man of God, so whenever Elisha's servant rose up early and went forth, behold, and host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, alas, my master, how shall we do? He's like, yo, like game over. We had a good run. It's like, we're going down, right? The whole, the whole city is compassed about by, by, by this army. And so here we find Elisha and his servant in a very similar position to that of Joseph, don't we? Man, they're outnumbered. They're in Dothan doing the will of their father. They're being ambushed. The, the whole host, the, the, the whole army is compassed about the city with horses and chariots. Just like Joseph, they're in a predicament that was beyond them, right? Just like Joseph, there, there's nothing that they could do. They were outnumbered. Even the servant of Elisha is like, yo, master, like, what's up? Like, what, what are we doing? And so let's look back at the passage. In verse 16, Elijah answers his servant, and he says, fear not. Man, it sounds like just like Jesus, doesn't it? Hey, man, we got this whole storm going around us. Fear not, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they 
that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes, open my servant's eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And guess what, y'all? And behold, the mountains was full of horses and chariots of fire. Oof. Horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Hello, somebody. That's, y'all, that's a spiritual perspective, right? Man, this dude had his eyes on eternal things. He was seeing crazy stuff. And so when we're in the pits, we, like the servant, need to have spiritual eyes to acknowledge that greater are they that are with us, right, than they that are against us. Rather than giving in to hardship, we must gain a spiritual perspective. We must remember the promises that we have, and we have to trust God's providence in this situation. Rather than Dothan being a place of destruction for us, it's a, a place of dependence for us. It's where we let go and trust God and that his providence has eyes. And so, uh, you know, we must trust God's providence. Uh, Alan Shelby is uh, this incredible theologian and pastor that, that I respect. And one of the things that he says is that providence applied to any problem is what makes it palatable. Providence applied to any problem is what makes it palatable. Like a spoonful of sugar, it helps the medicine go down, right? The crazy thing to consider is that we will never truly understand God's providence until eternity future. Do you realize that, that Joseph's brothers, they were ready to kill him? Whenever they saw him, they were conspiring to slay him. And had it not been for the pit, Joseph would have been dead, right? And so we'll never know until eternity future what these pits in our lives actually protected us from. Wow, that's a perspective shift, right? Oh, the, the, the pit was a good thing for Joe, right? What these pits in our lives protected us from. And on the flip side of that, if Joseph was never in the pit, he would have never been sold into slavery. If he was never sold into slavery, he would have never ended up in Egypt. If he was never in Egypt, he would have never risen to the ranks to become prime minister of Egypt and to save the world from calamity. So often the pits in our lives are setting us up to be used in ways that we could never comprehend or imagine, right? So often these pits in our lives are actually something that providentially used by God is being used to, to, to get us in position that we could never comprehend or imagine for ourselves. Rather than these hardships being a point of frustration, let's make them a point of prayer, right? Let's make them a point of prayer. And so I'm gonna close by praying for you. And I, I know that we, man, we, we moved fast. I know that we, we, we left some, some meat on the table, um, but man, if there's questions about anything that you, you heard tonight, uh, come ask. Uh, but, but Joseph's God was with him. And even when he was facing trials that were horrible, that were devastating, that were against him, he had hope and he had peace in the midst of these trials, right? And so can you. And so we're gonna end by, by breaking up into our groups uh, to discuss this. But man, if there's something that jumped out at you, uh, if you're like, man, who is the, the God of Joseph? Come grab me. I'd love to introduce you to him uh, because you too, like Joseph, can have peace and have this spiritual perspective in the midst of chaos in your own life, right? And so, Lord, we, we do thank you so much for the testimony of Joseph. We thank you for this passage in Scripture. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray for, 
for everybody here that we wouldn't return to the Shechem in our life, that we wouldn't return to that place of bondage. And Lord, whenever we do feel like, man, that this world is coming at us, Lord, that we can have the perspective that Joseph had when we were in our Dothan, right? This can actually be a place of great victory where we can trust you uh, and approach you prayerfully or that you can use these circumstances for your own glory. And so, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.